Today's reading is taken from Acts chapter 17, verses 16 to 34. In the Church Bible, it's page 899. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks. As well as in the marketplace, day by day, with those who happened to be there, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, "What is this babbler trying to say?" Others remarked, "He seems to be advocating foreign gods." They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, "May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean." All the Athenians and the foreigners lived, who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, "People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, 'To an unknown God.' So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you." The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history, and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek Him and perhaps reach out for Him and find Him, though He is not far from any one of us. For in Him we live and move, and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, we are His offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think. That the divine beings like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill, in the past God overlooked such ignorance, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent, for He has set a day when He will judge the world with justice by the man He has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising Him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, "We want to hear you again on this subject." At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Great. Thank you for reading, Lixie, and for praying, Ariel. And、uh, do keep that passage open, 
So maybe if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles at the back of the church. But uh, yeah, let's look at this passage together. This is our last week in Acts. From next week, we're doing uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And I guess it's a, it's a great way to finish, isn't it? Because Paul gets to Athens. Athens is, uh, well, we know ancient Greece. That was such an important play, uh, time in, in history, right? And Athens was the, was the capital. Of course, it was no longer the political capital. That's Rome back then. But still, Athens, you know, uh, the cradle of Western civilization. And we, we make so much of democracy. Where did they invent in democracy? Uh, where did they get it working back then? Uh, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, those kind of guys, they, they, they were in Athens. Right? And there was philosophy and there was science and maths and all these wonderful things. Maybe you're a doctor, uh, the Hippocratic Oath. Uh, that's what you say, that you promise to save life and not to harm. Well, Hippocrates, that's, again, that's ancient Greece, that's Athens. This was such an important place. All these famous buildings that are still there, right? the Acropolis and uh, temples. Paul gets to Athens, the intellectual heart of the world back then. Now, how would he see that? How should we see this? If you go to Athens, would you be impressed? Uh, as you go around and you, you take your selfies everywhere, you know, um, would you be impressed? Would you think, what an amazing culture? What an amazing achievements here? I mean, it's a good question in general, right? We live here in a world, uh, among us people living for different things, uh, people of different religions. We live in an amazing age. I'm an engineer by background. I think, you know, the science and technology these days, it's amazing what we've achieved, right? Uh, we live in such an advanced society. Uh, people with big PhDs writing intelligent books. And we can feel very impressed. What a world, what a society. Well, how does God see it? Because what matters often is how we see things. Before Easter, we did a series, if you were here, uh, through the lens of the cross. How should we see God? How should we see ourselves uh, through the cross? Uh, the way we live will, is determined by how we see things, right? What, we, what they really are. And uh, we need to see the world as well. How does God see the world? How should we see the world? And as we see what Paul is doing, we can see, well, how should we see the world? I think that's useful for us. It's useful for you if you're maybe a visitor. Actually, well, what does God think of you? Uh, what does God think of the world? And as you heard, um, it's not necessarily positive. Because what Paul sees in Athens, he sees, well, ignorant people. Uh, he doesn't see the culture. He doesn't see the great intellectual achievements. Verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. You know, he could see just all these idols, all these altars, all these temples. They say that there were more idols than people in Athens. A bit like, you know, my country where there's more bicycles than people, but there they had more idols. And, and Paul is just, he sees that and uh, he is distressed. I mean, and not that he didn't know, 
but sometimes seeing something, it drives it home, right? We know the world is, there are places of big poverty, but then you see it on TV and you just, you're shocked. And Paul says, ah, all these people here worshiping idols, not worshiping the true God. And so he starts to preach and teach and persuade as he always do. Uh, and the response here is so different from usual. Usually yeah, he goes to the synagogue and some people believe and some people reject. Here he's misunderstood. What is this babbler trying to say? Uh, others remarked, well, he seems to be advocating foreign gods, multiple gods, apparently a married couple, Jesus and, and Anastasia. They've never heard of the resurrection. They thought Anastasia must be a, a female god. And then they drag Paul, oh, please tell us more. Verse 19. And then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where all the important philosophers met. And they said, oh, what is this new teaching? And may we know what it is. You bring some strange ideas. It's nice, an opportunity to preach. But here is this town. They... They're looking for new gods. Yeah, they're not offended by the preaching. They don't believe. They just, oh, new gods. And Paul starts his sermon. Look, people of Athens, I can see that you're, you're so religious. You even worship an unknown god. Right? As I walked around, I found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown god. There might be this god out there that we don't know about. Let's, let's worship him anyway. What a verdict on Athens. These people who know so much, they actually, they don't know God. They worship idols. Uh, later, verse 27, Paul says, well, that people would reach out to him and find him. And that is the, the language of a blind man who is trying to, trying to find what's going on. That is what <laughs> these Athenians are. Do we, would you see it like that? These clever philosophers, uh, the scientists, the politicians, the historians, ignorant. Uh, people of other religions, you know, you, you go to the temple and they burn money to get better exam results for their kids. Ignorant. Uh, people living for work, living for money, living for pleasure. They don't know the true God. It's sad, tragic, distressing. And so Paul, well, he uses the opportunity, right? He tries to say, look, guys, there is a true God, and I want to tell you about him. And he gives this speech. It's, uh, it's interesting. Because normally, we don't always get a, get a speech, isn't it? Uh, Paul has done a lot of preaching. The fact that we have this long speech shows it's important. I, I guess you can learn things about uh, how to preach here. Did you notice how little Bible there was in the speech? He never says, well, it is written, or come to this book of the Bible. He does that with the Jews. But here, these people have never heard of the Bible. Why, why quote it? It's all biblical what he says, but he doesn't quote it. He really speaks to them in their language, to their ideas. But it's not just a method, it's the content. And as you've heard, it's not a positive speech. He's basically telling them, you're all wrong. And, you know, how could the true God be like that, what you worship? And so he tries to, yeah, he tells them the truth. 
the truth about the world. And the big thing, of course, look, there is a true God, and, and he is the creator and sustainer. The creator, that's the big question. Who made whom? Yeah? He says, look, verse 24, the God who made the world. Verse 26, from one man he made all the nations. God does the making. Unlike, well, temples made by human hands, served by human hands, statues made by human design. It's not people who make things, it's God who makes things. That is the, the thing. And so there's one creator, God. He res is responsible for everything. He's the Lord of all. A and he sustains you. Verse 25. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything. This God is the great giver. He gives everything you need. He gives you every breath. He's given you life. Yeah? And note, he doesn't need anything. That, that is directly to them. Look, guys, you have gods who need things. Why? Well, what kind of god needs things? What kind of god needs food every day from you? Wouldn't the god have starved to death before he made you? You know, <laughs> gods don't need food. Uh, this, a god who needs food, he, he depends on you. Then you're his god, right? He's saying, look, it doesn't make sense what you believe. I mean, people still do this, like, like money. Some people, they really think money is going to save me. I, I need money. Money, that's where my security is. It's the thing that's going to make me happy. Money doesn't give you anything, right? All the money in your bank account is because you put it there. Money can't give you anything. It is, money depends on you. So you can't depend on it. Uh, it's the same problem as the Greeks had. I don't know, uh, have you ever heard of the Baron von Munchausen? It's uh, books from Germany, it's quite popular in Europe. There were stories about this crazy Baron with all these uh, adventures that were just silly and, and not true. But one time he fell in the water with his horse and he pulled himself up out of it by his own hair. It's great, isn't it? <laughs> of course, don't try that when you're... <laughs> it doesn't work because, yes, I could pull my hair, but it's, you know, it just connected to me. But that is what you're doing. If, you're, if you have a God who needs you, that's what you're doing. You're trying to pull yourself up by your own hair. You're trusting in something that depends on you, right? And Paul says, look, that is not the true God. You know, the true God doesn't need anyone. He gives all from himself. He never runs out. He never fails because he doesn't need anything. Isn't that a wonderful God? How can you worship idols? And of course, yeah, he, he rules history. And he, from one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history, the boundaries of their land. He decided when everyone would live, where. The, the rise of nations, the fall of empires, all, you know, is under the control of this God. He decided that you would be here in Hong Kong today, in this church. So, I'm glad he did. You know, but it doesn't mean he's impersonal. Look, he's a personal God. Verse 27, God did this so that they would seek him. You know, God wants you to seek him. And 
You know, he's not far from us. In fact, verse 28, in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. You know, we are his, like his children. He's our father. And he wants us to know him. That is this God. And then, of course, how can God be a stone statue? Verse 29, therefore, since we're God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone. If you're his child, do you come from a stone statue? That's silly, right? God has to be greater than you. uh, I guess in that sense it's the same as what we often see in this world. Atheistic evolution, we're just molecules. We come from nothing. I mean, if we come from nothing, we are nothing. We know human beings are more. We are persons who love, not just molecules with chemical processes. If you lose someone, you really lose something. It's not just rearranged chemicals. No, we, this is the true God. And he's so different from your idols. He rules, he creates, he sustains, and he loves and he cares. And that is the true God. Don't you want to know him? It doesn't make sense, your idols. Of course. Why then, these idols? That's the thing, isn't it? Because Paul says, look, we've got such a problem here. You worship these idols. You worship tiny gods that live in temples. You worship gods that need food. Every morning you feed your cat and you feed your goldfish, and you feed your gods, and you don't think that that's absurd. Look, this is just wrong, Paul says. Verse 29, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like this. It's not just, well, here's some new information. Look, it's wrong for you to do this. It's, uh, it's idolatry. It's a strong message. Like I said, Paul is not very positive. He is just very negative. You know, if God made you, he wants you to know him. How can you be praising this, you know, this stone statue? That's what Paul is saying. Yeah? Ignorance is not neutral. Yeah, you, you guys don't know the true God, but you should. And the fact that you don't is a problem. In fact, you don't need more information Paul says you need to repent. Verse 30. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice. God is going to do something about this world that should know him, but rejects him. It's a different spin on Athens. These are not just people who are poor, that they don't know the true God. These are people who know the true God, and yet they don't want to know him. It's, uh, yeah, and if it's Athens, it's all idolatry. It's the people who live for work, the people who live for money, uh, the people in the temples around us. It's all people who should know the true God, but they don't. And they face judgment. Judgment's coming. God is not going to overlook it anymore. And he's proven it by raising Jesus. He's going to be the judge. Uh, Clearly, there is a God if Jesus was raised from the dead. 
Uh, I can talk more about why, but I hope you get a feeling of what Paul is saying. Uh, I know it's not a nice message. Paul was there blasting these guys, look, you, you people, how can you worship idols? Look, look at the true God. Uh, I hope you have a feeling for that. Well, what does Paul want, though, then, for us? You know, we read his speech. We see Paul being provoked in Athens and, and saying these things. I guess, of course, if, if you're here and you're not a Christian, this is a message for you. Uh, there is a God who made you, who knows you, who wants you to know him. And he wants you to come back to him. And it's wrong if you don't, because he's the real God. Uh, maybe you've never thought about that. Many of us, we, we just go through life. It's so busy in Hong Kong. We never stop to think about spiritual things. Actually, <laughs> there is a God. Uh, we can know if you, we just stop and think, or we can know from Jesus. You know, there was this guy, Jesus. He rose from the dead. How can that be? Have a look at the evidence. Go and, and see, and you will see that actually this is history, that God did something. And you need to do something about it. But of course, yeah, I mean, talk to me more. Uh, come and talk to me about the forgiveness that Jesus offers. The amazing thing is, this God wants to have you back and he sent his son to die to forgive you. But I guess as a Christian, you know, what does Luke want us to learn? Of course, there's some methods here, you know, there's lessons about evangelism. I mean, tailor your message, clearly Paul does that. Uh, he knows these people and he says it in a way appropriate to them that they will understand even though he gives the same basic message right he says look uh, god and sin and judgment and jesus the gospel doesn't change it's just in a way that athenian philosophers will understand of course by the way that doesn't mean that you need to be very clever to explain the gospel that you know the more i tailor it to someone the more powerful it is you know, the, the best evangelistic method is prayer. That's how people will be saved. But, yeah, it's good, good communication means speaking to people so that they will understand. And, you know, have good expectations. That's something we see here. I mean, what happened? Did many people believe? Well, not that many. Verse 32. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead... Some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. I mean, it's not a big response, right? It's not like in a synagogue where so many people believe and so many people reject. It's just they, they laugh at the idea of a resurrection. And some of them, well, I'm not that interested. Does this mean that Paul has failed? Not at all. It's just people who really don't know anything about the Bible. It takes some time. There's a few people, verse 34. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Some people, they started following Paul, they talked more, they followed up, and in due time, they believed. That is maybe the world we are in. Now, we don't have people like the Jews back then who know the Bible and trust the Bible, and they're just waiting to hear of Jesus. So many people, they've never thought of these things. They've never heard. And 
it's going to take a long time for them to believe. But even though we can learn these things, what is the main thing that Luke wants? Why does he include this long speech? And I think that's yeah, where we started. How do we see the world? And because Paul's speech is basically how he sees the world, right? He, he sees Athens and he explains, this is what I see. And that is what God wants us to see. He wants us to know the truth about the world. As Paul is here in the, the, the heart of, you know, of, of the world, the, the heart of its culture and in the heart of its intellectual achievements, look, this is what you should see. So it's a, it's a mission statement, in a way, a mission statement. I mean, what is Acts about? Acts is about the spread of the gospel, right? From Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And, and of course, Jesus commands it. But why should we take the gospel to the ends of the earth? You know, it's a lot of work. Athens was a hard place. Why do we need to go there? Friends of mine are missionaries in Athens. It's a very difficult place. Well, you see this chapter, this is why we need Acts. This is why we need to take the gospel. Look at this world. Look at all these people who are made by God and he knows them and he loves them and they reject him and they face his judgment. Right? This, this speech tells us exactly why, why, we need to go, why they need the gospel. That's why repentance and forgiveness needs to go to all nations. I mean, do you see it? Is this how you see the world? I mean, it's a beautiful world. There's so many good things that God has made. And people are capable of amazing things, acts of kindness and yeah, great achievements. But fundamentally, it's a world of people who have rejected God and who face judgment, who need to repent, who needs Jesus. That is fundamentally this world. That's how we should see it. You know, people, they have all kinds of problems. You know, there's sickness and, and racism and injustice and poverty and marriage problems and, and all kinds of things wrong with the world. But the fundamental problem is that God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice, isn't it? This is really what we should see. I mean, do you see that? As we think about the real God, as we think about people who ignore him, do you feel that? Do you feel what Paul feels? Do you feel provoked? Do you feel distressed at the world around us, the world that so needs the gospel? And so as we close Acts, as we, yeah, Look, want to apply this chapter will you do mission you know will you do local mission you know the place where God has put you maybe your workplace how do you see the people there there's many things you can uh, how you can see that them I mean they are maybe great teammates with whom you work together maybe they're people from whom you can learn and you can develop in your profession maybe they are competitors for your promotion. Maybe they're just great people to hang out with. All of that is probably true. But fundamentally, they are lost in the dark about God and needing the gospel. And that will change the way 
you act, right? If that is how you really see them. It changes your priorities. The work-related stuff, it's urgent, but it's secondary, right? The important thing is the gospel. So you will be praying for them. You'll be looking for opportunities. You will be building friendships so that they can hear <laughs> the gospel. And you will be seeking to make Jesus known. You know, that is what Luke wants, as the gospel needs to go to the ends of the earth. And not just here, globally. Right? This is such a global chapter. God made all nations. He commands all people everywhere to repent. And that means it's not just Hong Kong, not just the US, not just uh, our, all our home countries. You know, your, your friends and colleagues are so blessed because they have you in their life. There's plenty of people in the world who have no Christian colleague. They don't even have a Christian in their town. They're really unreached. I saw this uh, useful picture. You know, if the world population, out of every 10 people, one is a believer. Uh, two are a nominal believer, maybe in Catholic countries. Four of them haven't responded to the gospel. Three out of ten, two billion people have no access to the gospel. You know, that's why we need missionaries. Why right? do we need people to go to these places? So again, is that something that's on your heart? Do you see the world like that? As you see the news and you hear about countries in Africa or in Central Asia, you know, are you praying for the gospel to reach every people group? Are you giving to support mission? You know, missionaries, they are supported by churches. Yes, but that's not enough. Missionaries, they also need to be supported by individuals. Are you doing that? Uh, are you thinking of going yourself? It's great to see many people from the US coming here to Hong Kong. Uh, it's great that you want to go somewhere for the gospel. You know, there are lots of other places that also need the gospel. Uh, think about how you can keep going uh, in the future. Or maybe people from Hong Kong, your next move, where can you move to? But I think if we, yeah, if we see this chapter, we, this is what we should think, right? Mission, reaching those around us, reaching the rest of the world, because that is what Paul wants. Uh, we've come a long way in Acts. As we started this series, we were just in Jerusalem, and we've reached Judea. We've reached Samaria. We've reached the first Gentile God-fearer. Uh, we've reached other Gentiles. The first mission trip started. We went to Asia. We went to Europe. We've now reached Athens. Uh, if you read the rest of the book, they're getting to Rome. But it's not finished yet. Acts finishes in the middle of the story. It's still continuing. It's still continuing today as we reach out. So uh, let's pray that we would play our part. Let's pray that this would be the way we see the world, the way we know that God sees the world, uh, this world that God loves and wants to reach because people need to know him. So why don't we pray and then sing a great mission song. Our Father, it is a very sad picture we see here of people not knowing you, groping around in the dark uh, without you, lost, uh, rejecting you. Father, we pray you would reach them. We pray you would use us, 
Pray that this would be how we see the world in our busy lives with so much going on. Would we see the world as you see it? Would we long for us to speak the gospel to people? Would we do what we can for that? Would we pray and give and befriend and speak? Uh, would you use us? Would you send people even from us to other places where there is no other Christian? Uh, would we seek to reach the whole world together for you? Uh, because people need you. Because the gospel is so precious. And the alternative is so bad, so much worse. Father, please be at work in us. Uh, would we face this task unfinished? In Jesus' name. Amen.